welcome to this week's episode of New Tricks, where we're joined by Neil Bayliss, partner at Mishkondorea, who looks forward to what's in Santa's sack this festive season for the hotel sector. Is it time for another task force, or is a code of practice for the wall of unpaid rent going to be enough? And really, people, technology. Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the regular podcast from New Dog PR. And we're delighted to have everyone's ears, listening ears in attendance. And we are joined by, as always, Catherine from Paris and Spuddy. Is Spuddy around with you these days? Yes, he's having a sleepy time on the floor. Uh, oh, look. Is it is podcast it's, dog? It's too cold out now for dogs. So, <laughs> so here he shall be hibernating. He'll be back and, in March. And how is how is Paris? Paris is um, cold but sunny. Okay, we'll do that. And how are you? I'm very well. How are you? All right, thank you. We're recording this on a Friday, which feels very bizarre. I've got that sort of Friday feeling, so no doubt this will be a fully jubilant, joyful occasion. <laughs> um, and joining us for this jubilant, joyful occasion, we are delighted to welcome Neil Bayliss, who is a partner uh, at Mishcon Dorea. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. Um, how are you? Friday, jubilant Friday. I'm extremely well on jubilant Friday. Uh, great to be joining you. Thanks for inviting me along. Look forward to our, our little chat this morning. An absolute pleasure. There's much, much to chat about. Um, how has your pandemic been? Because it feels like it's a very long time. Apart from long, how how has it been? How's it been? Uh, well, touch wood, I, I've not been uh, a victim myself, so I've got to be grateful for that. And um, yeah, it's just it's been a pretty surreal experience, I think, really, uh, all the time away from the office, kind of entering this weird virtual world, spending many happy hours staring at laptop screens. Um, and I think everyone's just been sort of shocked, haven't they, by A, I guess how we've all adapted to it and work has kind of carried on and businesses, you know, sort of managed to adapt. Um, people have managed to adapt uh, in a personal way for doing work and their personal lives. Um, but on the other hand, sort of a real desperation to get to get back into more way of doing things as well, as we've seen as, as um, the possibility of flying places opens up people are running off to the airport trying to get on flights um most people enjoy being back in the office seeing colleagues going out for dinner with clients um just getting back into doing things which actually make their job fun rather than just doing the work so um yeah yeah you make a good point it has really stripped back it hadn't occurred to me in that kind of level of clarity that because i i've worked from home for years but it has stripped out all of the job just down to the job part, hasn't it? The so, job part, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're just getting the bit that was in the advert. Mm. Now. <laughs> the, the, the cynical employers are, are, are delighted because actually everyone's working longer hours. Yes, productivity. Uh, no there's no sort of entertainment budget. Sod that. <laughs> um, we can all downsize our office space, and you know, the few people that be coming in can can hot desk or whatever they have to do. Um, so. You'll actually have seen, and I sort of say this quietly, but you know, a lot of law firms and accountancy firms, other professional services firms, have, have had rather sort of good pandemics, as it were. And we just have to say very quietly, very, very quietly, um, because unfortunately, you know, when, when things go belly up, there's actually quite a lot of legal work to be done, isn't there? Um, you know, obviously, some things haven't been going on, but a lot of stuff has been going on in terms of you know what you do about furlough what you do about paying the rent or not being paid the rent and um you know all the covid guidance and um you know just managing a crisis 
does need some legal input. So that's been um, where we've got busy lots of issues with insurance, as you know about the Supreme Court case we were involved in. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been ups and downs. Um, there were definitely some areas which are suffering badly, but on the whole, I guess most firms have come through this this, this a remarkably unscathed, which I guess is good for the economy as a whole. I mean, look, not just being... Yes, yes. You must promise to go out to restaurants or anything. You can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, as we know, there's, there's a massive crisis now with um, filling jobs. I mean, there's a huge... Most industries, most clients I'm talking to are saying, you know, we just can't can't get the people, um, which may be to do with Brexit rather than COVID, but you know, we won't necessarily go down that particular road <laughs> now. <laughs> we'll hijack the entire event with the the Brexit discussion we've kind of done all that but yeah so I think a lot of people are sort of pleasantly surprised as to as to where we are and obviously we'll, there's a lot of debt sitting there now has to be um, dealt with it. but you know hopefully there's a plan and um, if, if businesses are all getting busy again then that will also sort itself out into it over the next next few years so um, cool so 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 good good for good for law um good pandemic for law was it a good pandemic for for the law you kind of you mentioned just now the um the supreme court issues that we were involved in with insurance has that how's that kind of ticking along did that all work out well in the end now that it's dropped off the headlines yeah i think it did i think it did as you know it was a, it was a test case and the insurers naturally pushing back on on the many many claims that are being brought for on the business interruption policies and you know we we Acted for a great group of people who weren't very happy. Um, thought this was exactly what they'd pay their premiums for, and then suddenly weren't getting any money, and they're risking they're basically having to shut up shop. So yeah, we, we sort of created a lifeline for those companies, and obviously it's taken some time to work its way through, and for the checks to actually come through the, the letterbox. But it, you know, it is it is happening now. Um, so I think that was that's been a positive outcome. Um, for the, for the business that affects a lot of whom were in the hospitality and, and leisure industries. You um you mentioned um it, it, well it, well in the spirit of of current current things that are happening um that the government may or may not be doing there are some planned um laws and a code of practice no less yes, equal to a task force I think in terms of efficiency yes capes. We just assume there are a lot of capes. I don't know. There's a sort of dressing up box somewhere looking around. I fear that's more accurate than you can possibly imagine. Mm, <laughs> party this year, everyone's going to be putting mops on their heads and being the outgoing prime minister. And yet, some already do. Exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, this week, it was it was announced um, that there were to be some in in order to resolve the remaining commercial rent arrears. There would be this these planned new laws and code practice um what say you so bearing in mind we're not allowed to know what the laws are oh no never never no that'll be revealed at the christmas party it's too exciting it's a christmas present sally santa doesn't come till christmas eve on that one so um it's interesting isn't it because we've sort of acted for for the landlords and tenants and initially there was a huge flurry of work and i think a lot of landlords being quite robust about it but then stepping back and thinking, well, actually, you know, it's not really in our interest to uh, completely destroy our tenants' businesses and let's think long-term. These are, you know, leases by the nature of long-term arrangements. Um, and I think people are being are being sensible. Obviously, in principle, there's a huge amount of 
unpaid rent, which is going to have to be dealt with. And the idea was, yeah, we'll let you off for a year, but you can still have to pay this stuff. Um, and that's, I think, sort of the hard-nosed landlords will stick to that. But the general consensus is that a lot of this will be ultimately waived and people will just have to move on. And, you know, the pain needs to be shared around a bit, doesn't it, really? I mean, no doubt that most of these tenants suffered in their their businesses if they're high street shops that weren't weren't doing business or travel agents or whatever. And, um, you know, it's, it's not really helpful to just say, we're going to pretend nothing's happened and you need to pay everything you owe. And uh, that's the end of it. So I think there's sort of compromises to be reached, as there were with you know business rates. There were schemes put in place to um, to allow people to to pay less in certain circumstances, and I think that's the sensible way forward for everyone, isn't it? Are you finding that people are coming to the table with an attitude of let's try, let's try and you know talk this out, reach a harmonious agreement in in a way that hasn't necessarily been seen in previous, but not pandemics, but you know in sort of in previous environments. It because we're reading a lot about that, and is there more is there more alignment between owners and operators? Is that an actual thing, or is that something that we just really like to believe, but in reality, not so much? I think it is happening more than it did. I don't think it's universal. I think there's still some, some very hard-nosed people out there who are going to push as hard as they can and just be completely robust about this. But there's more more of a consensus just because it's affected everyone. Um, we're all in the same boat and, and people need to reach some kind of compromise consensus going forward in the same way that you know, the banks have had have these discussions, haven't they, with, with the loan arrangements they've had with people. Um, and frankly, all of those business disruption loans not going to be repaid and everyone knows that and it's just sort of it was the right thing to do at the time and there was a lot of pressure on on the banks to play their part and i think there's some pressure on landlords to play their part as well especially for their you know, large plcs who can survive a little bit of financial pressure for, for a relatively short period of time i guess the hotel sector can always work and fall back on two things can't it if you're a landlord in the hotel sector um you don't want to have to run your hotel, which, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, is the eternal truth of the hotel sector. No one wants to run a hotel. People are always pushing it from, and that's why there's so many parties involved, because really no one wants to, because it's awful. Um, and and the, and the other part being that it's been awful for hotels, but it's been worse if you're in sort of retail or office. So, yeah, yeah. Well, there's always someone who's two motivators of the hotel sector. You can kind of bring them together. It's it's not as bad as some, and for goodness' sake, you don't want to end up having to run the thing. Exactly, exactly. Because I assume that goes in credit committees. Anyone else can do that. That's good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, You can imagine sort of dealing with your landlord and coming in with a a bucket and a mop and some bits bits for the pillow, and going, "Do you want? Do you want to go on this? (laughs) No, God no. (laughs) Sure, the bags made up. Yeah, off you go. (laughs) No, no, no. As you were, take it away. Take it away. I think there's a sort of a longer term existential crisis as well, isn't there, for certain high street businesses? I mean, high street retail has got a real issue as to how to maintain its relevance in the world of Amazon and other online retailers. Um, whereas, by and large, you know, you can't go on holiday online. It's not a virtual experience, it's a real experience. You have to actually stay in a hotel to experience another part of the world. Um, you know, same with 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 air, air travel, isn't it? So it, we're, it is bouncing back, obviously. I mean, I think you know, you've obviously seen a lot of, sort of chipper comments coming out of the, the big change now about all oh, bookings are all already back to what they were. We're going to have a wonderful year. It's all, all great. And, uh, you know, keep buying the shares, please. Um, no, it's all – and that's, that is great. That is great news. And uh, I think um, prices are, are robust. And 
most people I know are saying, oh, they're desperate to get away and just have have a break from all this sort of uh, being stuck at home business and give me a holiday now. And so... Um, yeah, it's, it's good that there's sort of now that the pandemic isn't like a sort of one big global thing. It seems that there's sort of places where it's more pandemic-y or less pandemic-y. So yeah, you can yeah. break the pandemic by going to... You know, <laughs> steep- uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> sort of relatively yeah, budget locations. Sort of, no, the options are, are opening up, aren't they? And, you know, the the, uh, the US being open now, that's sort of massive sigh of relief, I suspect, from all the major airlines involved in those routes. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I'd think i be more worried if I was, you know, operating a high street shop than if I was running a hotel because I think the hotel business will bounce back. And I think particularly on the, the leisure side, especially initially, I think there's sort of other issues coming into play on the business side, don't they, with a lot of discussions about ESG and, you know, the appropriateness of these massive, great seminars going on around the world with thousands of people flying in, which COP26 is an excellent example, but you know, it's not necessarily <laughs> the best things in the world for, for the environment, but that doesn't sort of impact on individual decisions to whether to go on holiday or not for most people anyway. Um, no, no. And in fact, we were involved in a survey which showed that um, people were very happy to look at the, you know, the the dolphins in the Venice, in Lago- the lagoon in Venice and, mm. and go, oh, it's so nice. Oh, I can hear the bird song. And the exact second they could travel again, they were very much, well, it'd be nice if things were greener, but it's not getting in the way of my going there or anywhere at all. So Especially you. when you've had a bit of a miserable time, you know, it's it's like, a, well, I've had a bit of a miserable time. And what will make me feel happier is... Getting some air sh- having some fun. Yes, plum- plunging some fumes into the environment. It was doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, yeah, we're a few... A few decades off the, um, you know, the carbon neutral aircraft, aren't we? Unfortunately, I think the, uh, you know, you'll be able to hire your EV, hopefully, fairly soon. Thanks to Mister Mister Musk and Mister Hertz, Hertz. But, but you know, there are similar deals being done all over the place. So that, in terms of ground transportation, I think everything's moving quite nicely in the right direction. Um, but air travel is is a bit of a how how far are you away from? Um... What is it? Sub, uh, you go up and then you wait for the world to rotate and then you come down again because that was going to be the next great hope, wasn't it? Um, sub. Uh... We talked about this on a, on a previous. Did we talk about this on a previous episode? Because was Maybe. this not something to do with? There, there was when we tw- twenty of us were trying to get to Croatia. We were thinking there's got to be a better way than waiting for all these bloody PCR tests. <laughs> yes, you can just be like shot up into the air and then you wait for the what with the globe. It was it, there, it was going to be the next move in in tra- transatlantic travel, wasn't it? You sort of go up, the world rotates. Your suitcase is like you know two miles in the sky, and then <laughs> yeah, and just wait until the wait. destination of your choice appears beneath you, and then you drop down like one of those drop bears. But yeah, yes. yeah. Exactly that, and that, should that do. was supposed to be very environmentally friendly as well as amusing. I remember thinking, <laughs> definitely amusing. <laughs> yeah, um, Neil, you mentioned chipper comments, um, and we are midst, well, probably nearing the end of results season now. I would imagine. Um, so I wondered, um, I'd like to hear. It might be fun to talk about flexibility um, in terms of bookings, which is something that uh, I think customers have become very familiar with. And I wonder how easy it will be to rip that rug out from underneath them. But Catherine, before that, are there any specific delights from this uh, this week's results that you'd care to share with the group? 
No, no. I've mostly been enjoying Airbnb, as we know, because I tend to enjoy Airbnb um, and they and their capacity for reinventing things they've already invented and reannouncing them, um, like so many new hospitals. Uh, I saw yesterday they were announcing that you'd be able to to, to choose, and they made a big deal about this, um, as they make a big deal out of everything, um, that you'd be able to choose whether or not you could take your dog with you and you could put that into the search. It's all about yeah. dogs, isn't it? You, you already, yes, be, yeah. them, them and Hilton. And I thought, yes, you already can, but... Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, though, for drawing attention for to that. Reminding us of this. Yeah. Yes. Reminded, which is, uh, yes, a thing. Yeah. Yes. So, not, so dogs, yes. Not quite at the Christmas setter from Hilton. We're going to make our budget things dog-friendly because I now have a dog, um, <laughs> which was quite the business leap. Um, and we look forward to that in the first quarter of next year. But uh, so, yes, no. So, no, nothing exciting from Airbnb other than... Um, as, as whoever will have read my column this morning will have noticed, um, it's all about Tupperware parties for Airbnb. So it's all about using the hosts to bring in other hosts. And you can't use words like pyramid scheme because it's not. It's all about hosts bringing in other hosts. And as I've found on my numerous dealings with Airbnb as a disgruntled guest, often they already get the hosts to um, to mediate between them. So, so basically it's sort of Brian Chesky and his tireless friends at the top and then a load of hosts running the business and dealing with all like the nasty bits, like telling people how it works and getting in between people's fights. So he's got a good thing going on there. He is not suffering from labour shortage. Okay, that's good. Very creative. Part of Very creative. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. He's a wild man. Yeah. <laughs> we have to pay him. <laughs> um, so, so on to, uh, yeah, tenuous link, I suppose, from... Um, bookings flexibility disgruntled guests too um i suppose it was fairly early on in the pandemic wasn't it when when everyone's everyone's 2020 travel plans came to a grinding halt and there was this uh, uh, and there was this discussion around whether you could have a refund or whether you could have vouchers uh and this whole thing sort of kick-started well cancellations and and flexibility and 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 how that all works and then we saw um well there was rumored sort of double bookings going on and then people hedging their bets so booking somewhere in Cornwall plus a bit of sunshine and I suppose where this rambling is going uh, is how that how how does that impact the sector from a legal point of view um if customers are now thinking well I really do expect this level of flexibility and I won't be giving that up lightly thank you very much yeah, well, I think there's, there's a legal side and then there's the sort of commercial side, isn't there? I mean, the, the law was always pretty clear that if the um, you know, package can't be delivered or the package operator cancels the trip, then the holidaymaker gets gets a full refund. And a lot of companies obviously weren't doing that because it would have created a huge cash crisis. So they were offering to reschedule trips or offering vouchers or just not saying anything at all and hoping the problem went away. Um, and the CMA got has been pretty vigorous. The Competition Markets Authority has been pretty vigorous in the UK, uh, you know, telling travel companies, "No, you need to ref- you need to give these refunds. It's not good enough to uh, to suggest there's any other option. The law is pretty clear. Um, refunds must be given." And there's no suggestion that the government was either was ever particularly sympathetic, you know, for better or worse, to the to the travel sector in that regard. They they never really said anything about, "Oh, we're going to help you out here," which is was really striking actually to see the very different approach taken in in so many other uh, European countries. Um, I mean, I get sort of my daily reports of 
uh, state aids that have been approved by the European Commission. And, you know, there was something almost every day with the countries somewhere in the EU giving support to some aspect of the travel and hospitality sector, except for the UK. And I think a lot of <laughs> people like Mark Tanter at the Adapter is sort of putting the hair out of the fact that our government was you know, stunningly unsympathetic. But that was obviously a decision taken at, at a certain level that the, why should travel be treated differently to everyone else and we can't sort of start handing out lots of money to particular sectors. Um, so effectively, that's that's the law. I think, as you say, commercially, people are, are probably more wary now than ever before and, and don't like the idea of having to commit and want comfort to be given to them that they can cancel at any time and they'll get all their money back because, you know, the law obviously says that if you as a customer cancel, then the, the operator is perfectly entitled to, to keep some of the money and the more the closer you are to the holiday, you know, it could be 100% of what you paid can be can be kept. And that's that's fair. And that, again, it's not likely to change um, in terms of the, the way the law operates. But as a company, you can obviously, you don't have to do that. You could say, yeah, we'll give you a full refund. You can cancel the day before the trip and have all your money back. That's absolutely fine. It's up to you. And if people think that's a good way of selling more holidays, then we'll see more people doing that. And obviously some some people do, do offer that comfort. Um, I would say just... Uh, <laughs> Again, sort of in defence of the industry, it, there are various ways of getting your money back. You know, you can have um, you can get your credit card to pay you back. You could have separate insurance in place, as well as getting a refund from the from the from the package company package company itself. And then it's no great secret that a lot of people have um, have been double dipping, as it were. And uh, you know, uh, and I, that's again why I've some sympathy for companies being asked to give refunds when they actually know that some of these people have already got their money back and they're just gaming the system. Um, so that, that is I'm involved in some, some cases where, you know, we are doing some proper, having to do quite a lot of due diligence, which is takes, takes a lot of time, but it's also appropriate to hand out millions of pounds to people who have already had their money back and, uh, you know, being unduly enriched as it were from a legal point of view. So, yeah, I think I'd take your, your, your view, Emily. I think the market requires more and more in a way of customer comes first and you can decide whatever you like, whenever you like, it's all good. Um, but at the same time, you're running a business, aren't you? And people do have a habit of changing their minds at the last minute. And um, if you make that too easy for people, for what is quite a high value purchase, then you know your cash, your risk uh, and cash flow can be um, turned upside down. Suddenly, you're, you're, you're insolvent. So, yeah, I think, I think you've got to think pretty carefully as a business as to just how, how nice you want to be in that regard um, because it yeah, could come and bite you pretty pretty badly if you get it wrong. Yeah, nobody wants to wake up one morning and find that suddenly they're insolvent. So bad business. Not so much. Bad. Not, not, a good, not a good thing to happen, no, exactly. And, you know, and then you've kind of got no money and a lot of people who did put the holidays can't go on the holidays and then perhaps you haven't got any money to pay them back and they've got to rush off to, you know, at all or um, after to get uh, try and get some money and it all gets yeah messy oh murky very murky 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 but yeah <laughs> we don't like murky <laughs> you're right I mean, people will obviously we've been through a sort of as bad a crisis as you could have could have gone through and hopefully you know, we'll go through in uh in our, in our generation um and people will sit back and say right how do we how do we respond going forward um review our terms and conditions of trading and just think about what what provisions are we going to have are we going to just play as tight to the law as we can, or we're going to be more generous to our customers. What kind of business do we want to be operating? How do we use that from a marketing perspective to make ourselves look better than the competition? 
Well, quite, Neil. And, you know, communication perspective, because that's that's communication is key, isn't it? Some clear messaging is always helpful. Seamless. Um, we are sort of hurtling towards the, the end of this chat, which is which is sad because it's been in most enjoyable. But the good news is we're not there yet. Um, before we ask, um, so we ask all of our guests some questions to round it up round it all off but before we do that and Catherine if there's if you've got any any other questions for Neil do chip in um but I just wondered whether you had any thoughts predictions insight into what happens next um it's I also thought you were going to ask about biscuits then oh god and I haven't asked you about biscuits oh my goodness when you, when you started saying thoughts and predictions I thought oh it's not gonna go biscuits okay <laughs> There's two very, very, very critical things that we need to ask you. Firstly, what's your favourite biscuit and why? And secondly, uh, what happens next? Is it all, are we all going to hell in a handcart um, for the biscuits? Quite. Um, so go on, biscuits. You can't go wrong with a, with a chocolate hot dog, in my opinion. That's a good a tea dunking. Um, if I'm feeling good, it is dark, but I will have a preference for the milk if it's available, I have to say. I think that's a wise choice. Yeah. So that they always go down too well. But, uh, <laughs> I think they, they came out when I was a student and I got addicted to them then and I've sort of never lost, never lost, really. It's, yeah. Yes, it's exactly. It's it's like we never move away from their student towns, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> How about you, Catherine? What's your favourite biscuit? Oh, heavens. Well, um, we had Navneet Bali on um, a couple of weeks ago and he. And he had discovered, he wasn't the biscuit, he had discovered a biscuit, um, which I then went out and discovered as well, um, that they make in this country. No, that they make in Belgium, um, which is like a, almost like a teardrop shape and is deep on the chocolate and was sort of like a circle of almost quite an oaty biscuit in many ways. And I, I can't remember what they're called, but I was... Very so, much infused. Gustav, Gustavy, Gustav. Something to do with Gustav. Very fancy. It was very fancy. So yeah, so but that would be a fancy biscuit. Yeah. Sort of an everyday biscuit. I and I know there's a lot of controversy around this, obviously, particularly in VAT terms. But the Jaffa cake, you know. Jaffa cake. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's definitely a childhood thing, isn't it? Yeah. You, you special treats when you're a little kid. Have a Jaffa well, cake. Oh, you, yes. you say that, but my aunt became obsessed with Jaffa cakes. Uh, my aunt lives in New York, and she became obsessed with Jaffa cakes after seeing Bake Off on wherever she watches it on and HBO. And they were making somebody made some, um, and then she decided, or rather, her son decided that he would then make some. And this led to an awful lot of shipping out of Jaffa cakes to the US, because of the failings. Um, and then when I was over there a couple of Christmases ago, I was once again forced to bring many, many Jaffa cakes. And the variety now in the Jaffa cake market is uh, extraordinary. Okay. They have so so Marks and Spencers were doing like cranberry Jaffa cakes. You can get lime Jaffa cakes, um, various different miniature Jaffa cakes, giant Jaffa cakes. It's giant Jaffa cakes, and it's just it's it's you turn your eyes market for like you know a minute and a half and. <laughs> And what's your view on these very on these variations? Is that, yeah, is that very, acceptable? Yes, very much. Okay. A big fan. Yeah. Other than the lime ones. Mm, bridge okay. too far. I need to do some tasting. I've, yeah. I've, well, it's it is rapidly approaching it's eleven o'clock. So it's a, it's a life's work. Is <laughs> it's a one that we're all prepared to take on and <laughs> exactly. commit to the cause. Well done, us. <laughs> um, 
So as we head towards winter, Neil, is it is this what's going to happen in your in your mind, in your prediction, in your insight? Do you think is this are we are we over the worst, or is this is the winter the winter, and that's not cheery, and does it all end very badly? <laughs> I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. I think so. We it's not going to go away. Obviously, winter's always there's always something, isn't there? Whether it's normal flu or whether it's flu plus covid or whether it's something else so there's always a bit of a winter uh, squeeze um but i think people are things are opening up generally people are keen to, to go about their business people want to have a fun christmas and get together and you know i think the economy's picking up nicely so i'm not hugely concerned i think we'll just get to that stage where we accept that it's just one of these things that's out there you can get like you can get any other disease that's out there and there'll be more and more medication to to basically ensure that you don't get seriously ill so you know med- pharma companies are, are adapting there's a great market for them there, there'll there'll be answers to these things and you know, just like uh when you feel sick or get a flu or get a cold you know you'll you'll take take things for it and you'll you'll carry on and that's where we'll get to with with covid in the end um so yeah i think we've i've kind of had a feeling it was going to be about two years once i sort of started reading into it and it so I reckon by by spring Easter kind of time, we'll uh, we'll definitely be over the worst of it, and we can sort of put it into the the memories and experience box as opposed to sort of worrying about it all the time. Um, so that, that's my perhaps perhaps optimistic view, but I think that's where we're. <laughs> I, I was wondering. I agree. You know, I was wondering whether the ultimate travel um, product for this winter wouldn't be. So I, I live near uh, somewhere that still offers those sensory deprivation tanks. Um, as I discovered this morning that I also live near like a cryo place so I'm not quite sure about the neighbourhood that I've been there, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> hmm, I don't really go from one to the other but um, but I was wondering looking at this deprivation tank whether the ultimate travel experience this winter and I think quite a few people would, would leap at this is the opportunity to be hibernated um, and then just wake up in, in March yeah yeah room. yeah warm space where you could I think a lot of people would take that in the northern hemisphere especially yeah we'd be quite happy with a bit of that exactly so if, if you know if anyone from like IHG or someone is listening then mm. just that's what we want get onto it that's warm, space to, yes, the, the three-month hibernation package <laughs> it's your ideal guest as well because they're not going to be bothersome they're not going to be no. demanding as to what they want their how they want their coffee in the morning come it's in. just come so into your pod be quiet <laughs> and, we'll unlock, and we'll knock on the good, door good. in a couple of months in march yeah all good yeah and think of the loyalty points you could rack up as Ooh, well yes. next day you pop out and then straight off Brilliant. to brunch exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this I'll, is the dream <laughs> in the final few Lately minutes, there are then, new brands. <laughs> um, in our final few minutes, um, can we ask you? Would you mind answering these questions that we ask everyone towards the end of the podcast? Um, <laughs> and we will fire away with the first question, which is: When the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was dot dot dot. Went to have a nice lie down and a cup of tea. <laughs> In a pod. In a pod. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Pod, yeah. That's it. And a biscuit? Did you and a biscuit, yeah. Biscuit? Yeah. And pod knobs, as previously explained. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. Sounds like a very good thing to do. Um, the best thing about the hotel sector is? It's 
resilience and uh, yeah, determination to, to to keep keep playing on and adapting to the challenges. Marvellous. Um, what about making it better? So the hotel sector would be significantly improved if I think embracing embracing technology. So which which some are obviously doing, but there's there's a lot lot to be done in terms of making it digital friendly and um, something which the younger generations can really relate to and interact with more easily, both building up to their stay and actually when they're in the hotel itself. So investing in digital technology. Marvellous. Um, what about what the industry needs now is? I think what the industry needs now is... Um, code of practice? Basically. All <laughs> codes of practice. <laughs> but, yeah, restrictions to fall away in terms of where people can travel, um, more generous quarantine rules or no quarantine rules at all, uh, uh, you know, except where there are clear pockets of extreme infection. Um, you know, that's more robust approach from governments to, to allow things to return to normal. Presumably, quarantine hotels are now a thing of the past. If there's no red list, do they now? That's it. C'est fini. I know somebody who's quarantining in Germany even as we speak. Ah, okay. They are very much announcements. I think yesterday or very recently, the the Chinese government introduced a four-week quarantine rule now. No, no, no. no. Chinese hotels are full of lots of business travellers. Okay, very much not a thing of the past then. Yeah, still still with us for a while. That sort of thing is not hugely helpful in terms of encouraging travel. No. Um, okay, the final question. I'd like to think we've learnt from this. Um, well, what, what goes around comes around. We had Spanish flu. We've had COVID. There'll be more of. There'll, there'll be another one. We've, you know, should be more prepared next time, perhaps, and not not assume that it's sort of. Oh, what's this that's happened? Um, and a little bit more, a little bit more planning, and uh, being ready for this kind of crisis, which which I think as the population of the world continues to grow, sadly, is is going to become essentially more frequent, isn't it? Because things just pass between people that much more easily than they ever did. So if there's a if there's a new virus, which and there will always be new viruses, then every one in a thousand of those will be nasty and there'll be another something nasty coming along. But you know, we've we've, we've been through it, but obviously a lot of people have have lost their lives. And so it's been it's been a, a tragedy. Um a lot of countries have done a lot better than others in terms of dealing with it. So just universally i think people take stock and and think okay this is, this is what we need to do if and when and probably when not if it happens again absolutely some sort of lessons learned document might be quite handy to have on the shelf wouldn't it that's right and sharing best practice around the world so yeah code of practice, code of practice. beautifully right put beautifully. Your cape on. <laughs> exactly back to the dressing up box exactly. um catherine any final other thoughts from you no, no. I was, I was thinking deep thoughts about how I don't want to get trapped for four weeks in a, in a hotel in China. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine Spuddy in that situation? That would well, I be. Sleep. I think it would be fine. He might, he might just sleep through the whole thing. He's already yeah. hibernating for the winter. <laughs> now, could you not combine the two? So, a quarantine hotel and one of those hibernation. those hibernating pods and. I might be the answer. You are heading off into sci-fi territory. I really uh, am. And no one can take that without paying me at least 20% of all proceeds. Yeah. Thanks very much. Sure, exactly. sure like, I've got a lawyer, got a lawyer here who heard yes. that that was okay. that's that's my idea. Crowbarred into the next the next June. 
Um, I own that intellectual yes. property. Because you can see if we were all put into, into hypersleep, for example, let's call it TM, um, <laughs> then, uh, then, and then everyone would pop back up and none of us would have the COVID or something. So, yeah, no, bad idea. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, yeah. we'll think on that one. We'll yeah. ponder. We'll oh, develop that thought. Yes, yeah. tune in again next week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant. <laughs> what fun. Um, Neil, you're so very, we're so very grateful um, to you for have giving up your, for giving your time. Um, it's been a hoot. It's been really good having you on. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Many thanks, Catherine. Spuddy um, has been very quiet, unseemingly, un- uncharacteristically quiet during, 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 during this podcast winter. Winter, winter yes. Yeah. Many thanks. Um, many thanks to both of you. Thank you for everybody, everybody who listens and reviews and subscribes and all those things you're supposed to do for podcasts. Um, we very much hope you have enjoyed this episode and please join us again for the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.